Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Luke chapter 24, if you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and uh, I get the privilege of being one of the ministers here. We're glad you're with us this morning. And and we have been in a three-year, almost a three-year journey through the Gospels. We've been looking at who Jesus is. And this morning, we are in the appearances after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to the disciples. He's appeared to Thomas. He's showing himself to the disciples. And we've chosen to focus specifically on this interaction between Jesus and two men that are leaving the city of Jerusalem, heading home after the Passover weekend, after the death of Jesus, and the news of the resurrection. And this whole message is about our discipleship. It's about whether or not we're going to follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't matter what you say you are. Really, discipleship is about what we do. It's who we become in Jesus, and then what we do with that becoming who we are in Christ. And so we're going to look this morning at this interaction found in Luke chapter 24 and walk through. And the way I want to set it up for you today is we're going to talk about two things that will keep you from staying on the path of discipleship. And we're going to show you two things that you can do to remain on the path of discipleship because Jesus is walking up to these two men traveling home on the road. He journeys with them and begins a conversation that has a lot to do with their hearts and who he is. You see, this entire 34 months that we've spent looking through the Gospels has been intended to reveal to us who Jesus is and give you and I the opportunity to choose to do something with that. If all we've learned is facts on this journey and no faith, it's been a waste of time. It's not just about what we know. It's about what we know about Jesus and what that allows us to become in him. And so this is one of those appearances that I think is crucial for us to understand so we can make choices about whether or not we really want to follow Christ or we just want to come to church or or just want to be considered good or all the things that discipleship doesn't allow us. And so let's just take a peek as we look at this. They're on the road to uh, Emmaus, which is a town, according to the scriptures, which is about seven miles uh, northwest of Jerusalem. Now, we did some research uh, last time I was over on the uh, Holy Land trip, and we'll talk more about that because we're going to be taking a group that wants to go from our church to the Holy Land next May. And there'll be opportunities for those of you that are interested in coming with us. We'd love for you to join us in that. But we were asking questions like, how, many, how fast do people walk over in the Holy Land? Because they still walk a lot of places. And I was told that it's about three, three and a half miles an hour that a person walks normally. And so because of that, you imagine this is about a two-hour trip. Uh, they have had a, just a highly emotional weekend, and they're heading home. And as they're journeying on this, let's be honest, they're disappointed, they're shattered, they're discouraged. This trip home is hard. Things didn't work out that weekend the way they thought they would. Their hopes are shattered. Things are under question, so here we go. They have heard the news. They heard that the tomb's empty. They're aware that angels have appeared. The women have told them that when they got there, the stone was rolled away. Jesus' body wasn't there. Peter and John had run to the tomb and discovered that the body wasn't there and came back and told the other disciples. These men had, must have hung in that group of 70 or so because they know this information Yet they still go home, and they go home discouraged. The proof was there. You see, the issue is not in the information they had. It's not in their heads. The the, the reason they're discouraged is their hearts. 
Now, it won't appear on the screen, but if you have your Bibles open, you might peek real quick at verse 25 and verse 32 because we're going to discover there that it isn't intellectual knowledge that's missing. It's a heart issue. It says in verse 25, O foolish men and slow of heart. Verse 32, they say, were our hearts not burning within us? You see, discipleship is not just about what information we have. It's about how it changes who we are and then what we choose to do with that. You see, they were looking for a conquering redeemer and not a suffering servant. They wanted a crown, but not a cross. And so they were discouraged. So let's begin with the two negative things that will take you off the path of being a disciple and then talk about the two things that will keep you on it. So the first is this. We will never see Jesus for who he is through our disappointments. And we can be disappointed in Jesus. You see, for those of you that might just be visiting Christ Church this morning, we want this to be a real place where you can talk about real things and we can have real emotional reactions without being shamed and broken by them. So the truth is you can be disappointed with God. And in fact, I believe every one of us has been. God could have done something because he's all powerful and he didn't. Why didn't he? He could have stopped someone's pain, but he chose not to. He could have answered a prayer, but he chose not to. What do we do when we're disappointed? What do we do when we're discouraged? Now, what we're not gonna tell you here you do is fake it, swallow it, act like it's not a big deal. Remember when you were a child and you began to cry and someone told you, stop crying, like that worked? We don't cry to just, well, I know some people who cry just to cry, but anyway, most people don't cry just to cry, right? You cry because it matters. You're touched by a, a, a movement in music or a, a scene in a movie or an interaction between two real people and you tear up. And there's nothing to be ashamed by that. And our, our real emotions about discouragement are real. What are we going to do with them? Let's read the text, verse 13 through 21. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things that had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Hold on to verse 16. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? That's so formal, isn't it? What are these symbols of language you're using? And they stopped, stood still, looking sad. And one of them named... Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. You see, they would walk in groups as they would go from town to town because in numbers was protection. Less likely they would be mugged or assaulted. And so they're traveling down this road and Jesus joins up with them and he eavesdrops on their conversation and he interjects himself into it. He knows who they are, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus said, what are you guys talking about? And they turn around and said, are you unaware of what's taking place in Jerusalem this weekend? And he's like, ah, what? And they begin to have this conversation. You see, they were there Sunday crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the end of the week, they see him executed. They thought he was coming in as the Messiah, and he goes out as just another dead man that Rome had crushed, <clears throat> that the Jewish leaders had thrown away. He's in this moment where they're, they're discouraged, they're frustrated. This is what they thought would happen, and here's why. They were living their lives as if there was no resurrection. They believed that they only got one lap in this thing called life. 
And if that was wasted or mistreated or treated unjustly, and if that's all you got, if that's it, doesn't matter how much money you have or how much fame you have or how much power you have, if you die and everything gets left and you're still dead, what good is life? No wonder people without faith lose hope and start to numb themselves with everything they can to overcome. And so they were living their life that is there, as if there was no resurrection. And Jesus is speaking to them about that. Because if death was the end of Jesus, then death would be the end of them. And there's no hope in that. Paul says, the apostle Paul says, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we what? We die and it's over. And then so what? What's really mattered? And I love how Cleopas asks him, if I can paraphrase this, the way I would translate what's said here is, Cleopas looks at Jesus and said, where have you been? And some of us are discouraged with God because our real question to him is, where have you been? Why did I lose my marriage? Why did my children rebel? Why did I lose my job when I worked really hard and tried really hard? And we can be discouraged. It's okay. There is no sin in being honest about where you're at. And if you want to know the truth, then I want to tell you this. If you want to know how to be disappointed and not sin, read the Psalms. In fact, I would encourage you to read five psalms a day. Read two in the morning. If you don't know where to start in your Bible, read two in the morning. Read one at your coffee break or lunch break, and then read two before you go to bed. Now, some of them are lengthy, like the 119th psalm is 176 verses. Make that a day. I'll give you a break. But if you read the psalms, you're going to learn how to be disappointed. Because when you read the psalms, they're constantly asking God, where are you? Why didn't you? Why do you allow this? There's this constant engagement with God, and the best part about our God is God doesn't look, out you, look down at you and go, how dare you? He's like, you want the answers? I'll give you the answers. You're not going to always like the answers, but I'm going to tell you that I'm always working good, even when it doesn't appear to be good. You see, it's okay for us to be disappointed when things don't go the way we think they ought to go. But let's not allow our disappointment to impugn God. Let's journey with him and discover with him because what will take you off the path of discipleship is when God doesn't do what you want him to do as if he was ever supposed to do that. And so they're discouraged and they're disappointed and they look at Jesus and think, where have you been? The second thing that will take us off the path of discipleship is we will never see Jesus for who he is through our ignorance. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I really struggled for a couple of weeks finding the right word to put in there. Is it ignorance? Well, I know it's not, he's not accusing them of being stupid or being thoughtless. It's just ignorance. And ignorance is actually having available information to you that you don't access. It's having the facts in front of you, but you're unaware of them or you've chosen to ignore them. So I did choose ignorance on purpose. And that will offend some of us in the room. That's not my intention, but maybe it'll awaken you. That one of the things that will keep us from following Jesus fully is when we choose to remain ignorant to what God intended to do. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. It's a key phrase. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had also said, but him they did not see. Think about this. 
They have eyewitness testimony to the tomb is empty, that angels appeared and said he's alive, and yet they don't believe. They had the information. They didn't have the faith. And the reason they didn't have the faith was because they were ignorant. What were they ignorant of? They were ignorant of all that the scriptures had said God was going to do. They didn't understand what God was doing, so they became discouraged and walked home. They just left. They didn't stay with the disciples. They just went back to their, their lives because of the ignorance. They did not see Jesus, so they struggled. Verses 25 and 6. Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? That's a profound question Jesus asked. Is what happened in Jerusalem that week, is that not exactly what God said would happen through the prophets from the beginning? Did God not tell Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that I would send an offspring of yours that would crush the serpent's head and he himself would be bitten? Did the prophets, Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and so forth and Jeremiah, did they all not tell you that I would send one who would suffer for the nation and redeem it? Was that not in your scripture? We're living in a day right now, and it, it surprises me. I've, I've done this for three decades, okay? And I'm going to tell you that the, there are reoccurring arguments that come up from people that want to question faith. And one of them that's reoccurred in the last year or so is surprising to me, but it happens over and over, that you and I, that the Old Testament's not relevant to what we're talking about here today. And I want you to understand, what did Jesus do with these men that were discouraged and ready to walk away? He took them back to the what? The scriptures. Do you know what the scriptures were in Jesus' day? The Old Testament. You can't understand what Jesus does in the New Testament and what Paul's calling us to do because Paul is constantly putting our eyes back into the Old Testament to say, God did not give us the Old Testament, realize it didn't work, call a timeout and start a new plan. God has been building the same meta-narrative, the same story from Genesis all the way to the maps at the end of your Bible. He's been telling the same story about how he is going to redeem us. So Jesus takes them all the way back to the Old Testament scriptures and walks them through. God said he would, he did. God said he would, he did. God said he would, he did. Jesus was the he did. And all of a sudden, their ignorance changes. But they didn't realize that they needed to be redeemed. So let me explain. When you and I think about the word redemption, we automatically jump to the theological Christian post-resurrection redemption from our sins. They would not have thought of that. For them to be redeemed would have meant that their slavery would end. So Cleopas is saying to Jesus, we thought the Messiah would free us. And Jesus was saying, I did. And they were saying, yeah, but that's not what we wanted. You see, if I can simplify it, Cleopas thought the only problem he had in his life were circumstances. He thought Jesus would change his circumstances. And as a pastor, I know so many people want Jesus to fix their marriage, want Jesus to help them get a better job, want Jesus to give them a break. And I think Jesus is capable of doing all of those things, and probably most of us who follow Jesus have had moments where he has changed our circumstances, praise God. But that's not what Jesus came to do, primarily. He didn't come to redeem us from our circumstances. He came to redeem us from ourselves. He didn't come to just make our lives easier. He came to change our hearts, to break us from our addictions, to break us from our selfishness, 
to see that there is a kingdom out there that he's building that is beautiful and glorious. And it's not just about slaving for our king. It's about actually being in love and enjoy God's presence. So in this, they thought that he was changing their circumstances and he was changing their hearts. So two things in review, quickly. Two things that will take us off the path of discipleship. First one is when you're disappointed in God and you fake it. You harbor without communicating with him and, and reaching into him, you harbor this discouragement and disappointment against God. Second of all is you, when you remain ignorant of what God has intended to do all along. You see, there's this whole concept that we've bought into, and it's more Western, it's more American than you imagine. This whole thought that heaven's way up there and earth is down here and you and I are just to suck it up until God comes back and takes us up there. Do you know that's not going to happen? Do you know the scriptures never talk about God taking us? Even that passage about meeting Jesus in the air is actually the word picture of meeting a conquering hero as he's coming back, joining him halfway and bringing him back into the city. And so God has been compressing the distance between, because of our sin, between heaven and, he or heaven and earth every day. He's compressing it through Jesus Christ so that heaven is touching earth through the kingdom of God. And when he builds a new heaven and earth, it won't be a new place, it'll be here. He will take it all the way back to its beauty and creation. These are the things that we're ignorant of because we believe that I'm just gonna suck it up in life here and then all of a sudden he's gonna zip me up to some cool place, some great distance with mansions and streets of gold and, and, big, and Peter at the front gate. I don't know how that happened, but Peter will be at the front gate. Every cartoon I ever read has him there. <laughs> all of that is not biblical. It's mythological. Jesus is trying to change our Ignorance by revealing his kingdom, which is right now present to every one of us. We don't have to wait to die to get there. So what do we do to stay on the path? What do we do to do this? Well, there's two things I want to close with. We can see Jesus for who he is through the testimony of the word. Now, it won't surprise any of you to come to church that a preacher is going to say, understanding and reading your Bible is important. <clears throat> no, I'm going to say it's necessary. It's not just important, it's necessary. Verse 27 Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. <clears throat> and he went to stay with them. So what would happen in those days is they would go from town to town in, in large groups of people, once again, to protect themselves. As it got close to darkness, when they got into a town, that town would offer hospitality. There was no red roof in, there was no holiday in, there was no uh, bed and breakfast. You were the bed and breakfast. And when visitors came to your town, you would open your home to them, give them a safe place to sleep, you would feed them, and they would go the next day on the journey. And the whole, you were just paying it forward. They would take care of someone one day for themselves. This is how their culture worked, where they're going, and Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to go to the next town. They're going, it's dark, it's unsafe, you're traveling by yourself. How about you spend the night with us? They enjoyed the conversation. They were just doing what good people do, and they invited Jesus in their home. Jesus continues to show them, God said back in Genesis, he was going to do this. Isaiah said he would do this. Did you notice what happened on the cross? It's exactly what Isaiah said, what Jeremiah talked about, what Ezekiel even promised. It's what Daniel talked about in all of these beautiful moments. And they were like, oh my goodness, I never saw that. And so he began to express to them. But see, here's the difference. You might say to me this morning, but Mark, I don't see them ever opening the Bible and going through a Bible study. No, no. Don't mistake the word of God for the words of God. Church, are you with me? Jesus is the word of God. The words of God we have in our Bible all point toward who? Jesus. 
This is what he displayed. He broke open the Bible and said, yeah, that part's me, and that part's me. And that thing he did, that's me. And over and over, he was revealing the word of God through the words of God. And he showed them that, and opening themselves up to that, they got beyond their ignorance by understanding the principles of what God was doing from the very, very beginning. And so they're, they're having a meal, verse 30. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, which is really weird. But here's what happened at the table. They're sitting down, and they said, Jesus, would you thank God for the food? And he said, gladly. And he started talking to his father, and he broke the bread, and he handed him a chunk of it. And they're like, whoa, wait, that was Thursday. That, it, it's him. They recognize it. But what they recognized was he was the bread of life. You see, it wasn't just that Jesus broke the bread the same way he did that Thursday night. It's when he broke the bread and they understood what the breaking of the bread meant, the Passover lamb, the, word, the bread of life, the manna from heaven, all the imagery in the Old Testament about Jesus. When he broke the bread and handed it to them, they're like, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. And then he's gone. And you think, well, why did he leave? Why did he just disappear? Because he was showing them his physical presence wasn't the thing. What he did was the thing. That he was alive, that he was the Passover lamb, that he was the bread of life, that he was the manna from heaven, that he was the promised Messiah. And when they understood that, everything changes. You see, when you open the word of God and you see what God is doing and you understand the meta-narrative of what God is accomplishing, then all of a sudden Jesus becomes alive to you rather than a ritual on Sundays that you want more of him, but you don't know how to get there. The fourth thing or second thing we can add positively to our walk of faith is we can see Jesus for who he is through the prompting of the Spirit's presence. And this makes some people uncomfortable, but it shouldn't. This, this is not mystical. This is God's promise. Same the way that Jesus came to reveal life to us, the Holy Spirit is present in the word of God to reveal everything to us. Verse 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? I want to pause there for a moment. I'd like a little bit of testifying here in the church this morning. I'm just really curious. It's more of a kind of feeling the audience out. How many of you have had a moment when you've heard a preacher preaching or you've been in a small group Bible study or you've listened to a podcast or a sermon on, on the radio when you're driving or you're at home and you turn on the television and someone says something about God in that moment or maybe you're just in your own private Bible study. Have you ever had a moment that you've read a passage 8, 10, 20 times and you didn't see something but on the 21st time you opened it up and God said, here. And you're like, oh my goodness. Has your tail ever wagged when you've had a moment and you're thinking, how come I didn't get that the first 20 times? I'll tell you why. Because God said you weren't ready. And I'm going to, oh, remember I told you back in verse 16, it said they couldn't recognize Jesus? The Apostle Paul says that there's a veil over our eyes that makes it hard for us to understand spiritual things. And so what happens through the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the Spirit opens our eyes, it opens our minds, it opens our hearts. So don't be discouraged when you've read something 21 times and it doesn't make any sense and on the 22nd time you're like, oh, there it is. It's him. That's because God has taken the veil off your eyes. He's opening your ears and hearts. There, is, there are eyes of our soul. Paul prays that our eyes would be open that we might understand everything. 
And God reveals that to us through his spirit. It's through the words of God that reveal the word of God and the spirit of God that reveals the truth of God. That's why Jesus told somebody once, if you're gonna worship me, you need to worship me in spirit and in truth. So for those of us that want to walk deeper in this walk of faith, you're gonna have to open your mind to the word of God and then open your spirit to the presence of God so that he can be your teacher. It simply is asking God as you open the word of God, teach me who you are, reveal to me who you are, show me how I can grow in you. And in that moment, a beautiful thing happens. They realize it's Jesus and Jesus is gone. It's getting dark because they asked Jesus to spend the night. They're having the evening meal. They're They're about two hours away from Jerusalem, but what do they do? They get up immediately and they go back to the holy city and they find the disciples. And when they gather with the disciples, it's amazing. They have this conversation. Verse 33, they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those that were with them. And the disciples said to them, the Lord has really risen. It's true. And he's appeared to Simon. Peter's like, yep. And from 35, and they, these two men, began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. They went from factual understanding to faithful belief. And that's what a disciple does. You see, there are some of us in the room today who are disappointed with Jesus. And you have a, truthfully, you have a right to be upset. Something terrible is happening. I'm not talking about like a simple prayer to win the lottery didn't work. I'm talking about you prayed for someone's health. You prayed for a rebellious child. You asked God to reveal himself to you and it was hard and you didn't get anything. You tried. You hear the preacher say you ought to read the Bible and you try to read the Bible and you get nothing out of it. And you're wondering, God, why can't you give me a break? Why can't you throw me a bone? Just give me something and you're, you're disappointed and discouraged. Don't walk off the path of being a disciple. Keep following. He will reveal himself to you in the way you most need it. don't be disappointed. Read the Psalms and understand what it is to journey after God, realizing that God does things differently than we do, and yet he always does the right thing. Some of us in this room are ignorant of Jesus. We're ignorant of the scriptures, and we're wandering around wanting Jesus to be something he never intended to be. We want him to fix our circumstances. That's ignorant. He never promised to do that. He promised to make us whole. He promised even in our suffering to be with us. Sometimes God's greatest gift is not to change our circumstance, but to be with us in our circumstances. And then there are some here today who sit here and you could have preached what I just preached. You're like, yep, my faith became real when the word of God became a search for the presence of God in my life and he began to speak. And God does speak. He speaks through the word. He speaks through community. He's talking through nature. Beautiful things are happening all around us. We need the veil on our eyes to be taken away. And God does that. He does that through the word and through the spirit and opening ourselves up. Around this room are four tables with lamps lit on them. We imagine this morning as we challenge people to walk in discipleship, that there will be people in this room here today who are saying to themselves, I want that. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're saying to yourself, I want that. I want to feel connected to God. I want to be connected to Jesus. I don't want to live off the preacher's faith or the church's faith or my mom and dad's faith. I actually want to walk myself with Jesus. You can do this. If you're willing, you can do this. And God will meet you in those moments and he will walk with you, sometimes silently and sometimes speaking boldly. 
But the word of the words of God reveal the word of God. And the Spirit of God shows us that truth and guides us in it. We walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. There's an opportunity for every single one of us, from a person who's not a believer in this room today to a person who's been a believer longer than I've been alive. There is hope for every single one of us. God wants to meet you. He wants to guide you. He wants to deliver you. And yes, he wants to redeem you. But his redemption is far more beautiful than just changing our circumstances. It's changing our hearts. So this morning, if you desire that depth, you want someone to pray with you, maybe you want to set an appointment up with the pastor to have a conversation about some of the things that God is calling you to do that you feel laid on your heart. Whatever the decision you need to make this morning, we're here as a church for you. We won't try to convince you of anything more than what God's offering you. And if you'd like to have that conversation, whether it's in the room after the service at one of these tables, you can see people have gone to those tables to meet you there. Maybe it's out in the foyer at the, at the prayer center. You just want to talk to one of our pastors or elders. We'd love to meet with you. But don't leave here today saying, I really want that, but I, I don't know. No, try it. Step out onto the path of discipleship. Keep going even when discouraged. Work hard every day to open the word of God and find him in it. Seek him. See what happens. God will meet you in spirit and truth, and it will change the way we walk. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.